0: As you think about experiencing suffering and hardship in your life and what you need in those difficult times, you may say you're in need of comfort. You're in need of comfort. Comfort from people, comfort from God in your times of suffering. Maybe you'd say, as you think about a need that you have in your suffering, maybe you'd say you're in need of deliverance to be rescued from that specific trial that you're facing A need for your suffering to end. Today, as we continue on in our study of the letter of James, we find a need in our trials. James speaks of a need that you may have, and I believe as we work through this text, you're going to see that you have this need more often than not in your hardships, and that is a need for wisdom. Wisdom. And before we look at our passage this morning, I just want to review, because it's been now two weeks that we haven't been in the book of James. The first Sunday of January, we began this series on the letter of James, and we saw that the letter of James is written by none other than Jesus' brother, James. And he writes to those who were scattered, those who were being persecuted, and they they fled in the book of Acts, uh, took place, this persecution, this scattering took place right after the martyrdom of Stephen. So these people that James is writing to know suffering all too well. And James opens his letter addressing the subject of suffering. If you look at James 1, 2 through 4, that was our or part of our text that first week, James 1, 2 through 4. He starts with suffering right off the bat. He says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect,' that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here James opens his letter speaking of various trials, meaning not just persecution, but but trials of of all kinds, of uh, any type of suffering that you might encounter, James is addressing here in this first passage. And James says something that is very surprising and I would say definitely unnatural to us, and he says, count it all joy. James calls these Christians at the start of his letter to be glad in their suffering, to rejoice. We might ask why, well James answers that why question and he goes on to say that suffering is used to grow and mature one in godly character. So we found in the beginning of our study of the book of James that as Christians we are called to respond to hardships in life by being glad, realizing that God uses our hardships and difficulties to grow us in our walk with him. So I'd ask you if you were here several weeks ago for that message, I'd ask you simply, how are you doing in having this joy? How are you doing in having this joy? As you think about what you've encountered in the, the past couple of weeks, as you have uh, think about the hardships you faced, the difficulties of faith, that you faced, Have you had this joy that James calls us to? And as we think about that first message in in James, I ended that message by saying that we often say to God in our hardship and our suffering, how could you do this, God? How could you do this, God? And and I gave us a, a different question that I think we should ask out of James 1, 2 through 4, and that is, how will you use this? God so rather than saying how could you do this God ask how will you use this God and today as we think about our next passage in the letter of James again won't be doing this every week but again I want to kind of um, narrow it down uh, into a very simple question that I think we can walk out these doors with that we can ask of God and we'll get that a little later on in our message. But if you're not there already, turn with me to James 1, verses 5 through 8. That will be our text for this morning. And our theme for this text is this. James presents a need that one might have in suffering, and he addresses how this need can be met. James presents a need that one might have in suffering, and he addresses how this need can be met. So we'll we'll begin by considering this need It's right in the beginning of the passage. Look, look with me at James 1, verse 5. It begins by saying, if any of you lacks wisdom. So first, as we consider this need that James brings up, we must see that this need is in our times of suffering. Okay, I'd argue that even though nowhere in our passage, if you look, we don't see the word suffering, we don't see the word trials, mentioned in verses 5 through 8, Still, I think James hasn't left this subject of trials from the previous passage. Okay, look with me at James 1.4. Okay, so the verse right before our passage, James 1.4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. And now look at verse 5 again. Our passage opens and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, lacking in nothing, and then James goes and uses this word again, if any of you lacks wisdom, okay? This is no mistake that James uses back-to-back in side-by-side verses, this word lacking or lacks the same word. James is making a connection here, he's using the same word to show that he's not moving off of this topic or the subject of that first passage, but he's continuing, and he's going to continue to talk about something they might need when they face trials, when they face hardships like we saw in that first passage. But also as we think about uh, where this need is at or, or what the subject is of our passage, We find a few verses later in James, in James chapter 1, that again he is discussing trials and hardships. Look at verse 12. James 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Same word as verse 2. Under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we find the same word in verse 12, trial. That was used in verse 2, mentioned here again in verse 12. These first verses of James chapter 1 are addressing trials and hardships. In our passage, James hasn't left this subject. So I said James brings up a need we may have, and we see from the start that this is a specific need in a specific time, something we lack in our times of hardship, in our times of trial. And we find it's not a need for relief or for rescue but it's a need for wisdom. If you look again at James 1:5, he says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, what is wisdom?" Wisdom generally speaks of having understanding, that you understand something, you grasp something, you have insight into something. And in this context, it's understanding and it's insight into the ways of God. And living according to them. Okay, I think we can see this uh, from our verse. If you look again at verse 5, we see this wisdom's in relation to God. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and then he goes on to say, Let him ask God. So this wisdom has something to do with God. Turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we see James brings up this this wisdom again, and I think this passage. More fully shows what this word wisdom means. James three thirteen through eighteen, and if you think about the word wisdom, if you think about someone who is wise, you usually think of um, them as someone who is smart. Okay, they get an A on every test. They have a lot of knowledge. Okay, that can be what we think about when we think about someone being wise. But this isn't quite what the word wisdom means here in the letter of James. James shows that it has all to do with godly living and conduct. Look with me at verse 13 of, Je- of chapter 3. He says, Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, So verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3 show us what this wisdom is like, and when we get to this passage in our study, we'll go uh, into it more fully as to what these verses mean, but for now, the point is to show that when James speaks of wisdom, he's not talking about having a, a high IQ or being book smart, but he's talking about knowing what is right and doing it. Okay, just highlighting a few of the words that we find here. He's talking about conduct. He talks about good conduct, being gentle, being peaceable. All of this is wisdom. So wisdom for James is knowing what God calls for and then doing it. It's understanding the godly way to live and living that way. And as we think about wisdom, I also want to point out the fact that this definition of wisdom is not only here in James, but it's what we find in in other parts of the Bible. The whole letter of James has similarities to the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Especially, um, we can definitely see some similarities between the book of James and the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is certainly addressed. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So in Proverbs, we find that a reverent submission to God is the start of being truly wise. It's what Proverbs means when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A reverent submission to God, obeying Him, submitting your life to Him. Living according to His word is the start of being truly wise. Giving your life in obedience to the Lord is what it means to truly have understanding. It's exactly what we find in the book of James. Proverbs shows us that wisdom is living as God commands. So James brings up his first mention of the word wisdom in our passage, James 1.5, when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom is knowing how to live in a godly way. So the specific need that James is addressing here in our passage, I said we have a need. Well, the need is not knowing how to live in a godly way during trials. James is speaking of maybe questions we'd ask. How should I conduct myself in this situation? What should I say? How should I respond to the person causing me hardship? How should I live as I experience this pain? When James speaks of lacking wisdom in verse 5. He's speaking of not knowing the right and the godly way forward in a difficult time. That's the need that James is bringing up here. James moves next to where you should go with this need. Look with me again at James 1, verse 5. So turn back to chapter 1. Look with me at our text at verse 5. It says, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So if you realize you don't know how to handle a difficult situation, if you're stressed out beyond belief, if you realize that you're inadequate to handle the circumstances that you're going through, where should you go? James' response is, pray to God. Go to God. Go to God and ask, what should I do? So I said I'd give us another question to walk out these doors with from this passage, and that is this question. God what should I do? God, how should I respond? What should I say? What would it look like to live according to your word in this situation I'm going through? God, what should I do? And as you think about where James directs us to go, so we have a need. Where should we go with it? Okay, where James directs us to go, I don't think is usually our, our natural or maybe our initial um, place that we would actually go. Okay, I think the first place you may have gone may have been yourself. Okay, when trials strike, you may not even realize that you have a need. You respond to that trial how you'd like. You respond based off of of emotion. You get mad, you get sad, and, and that is what triggers your reaction. And often when we do this, we sin. We don't respond in wisdom. Our call to worship was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Five and six, very familiar verses. They say again, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. But the next verse, and I didn't include it in our call to worship, it's not as familiar, but I think it's very instructional here. Verse seven goes on to say, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Often when trials strike, when suffering, uh, when we go through suffering in our lives, we are wise in our own eyes. We do what we want. We respond and we speak and we act how we choose to. We think we know what is best or the best way forward. We don't trust God. We don't go to God as James says. And I think more often than not, we don't realize that we have a need. We don't realize that we lack the wisdom to handle hardship. But if we do, okay, if you do recognize, I have no clue how to address this person that's causing me so many problems. I have no clue how to live through the despair and the pain of death. I have no clue how to conduct myself in this time of suffering. There's other places you might turn, okay? It might be to someone else. It might be a good friend. It might be a counselor or a therapist. It might be your spouse if you're married. If you're a child, it might be your parent. It may be someone that you really look up to who's a good Christian example. And as I say this, don't get me wrong, people are a great place to turn, okay? especially if that person's going to give you counsel that is, is good, godly counsel. But this isn't where our passage directs us. And neither does it point us to books. Okay? There's a lot of good bo- or There's a lot of books that are advertised to help us with trials. Some of those books aren't ultimately helpful. Some of them are and point us to good biblical answers. But again, this isn't where our passage points us to. The passage points us to the source. If we're looking for godly wisdom, then we can go directly to the source, and that is God himself. This is a passage that calls us to respond to trials and hardships in prayer. Looking to and asking God for help relying and depending on God for the understanding we need to face and, and to conduct ourselves in a godly way in a difficult situation. This passage is saying you don't know how to conduct yourself in wisdom? Well, go to the one that originates with God. So you have no clue how to respond to the person judging you and talking bad about you behind your back? Go to God. You've no clue how you'll handle your disrespectful child? Go to God. You do not know how to handle the stress at your job. Go to God. You find out you've been lied to. Go to God. As you grow older and your body is failing you, you've had surgeries and illnesses and are struggling physically, go to God. Go to God in prayer and ask him, how can I conduct myself in a godly way in this trial? That is what James is directing us to in our trials, and that is God. We have a need for wisdom in trials. God is where we should go. The next thing we find in our passage, we've seen the need, we've now seen where we should go with that need, and in the next thing, the third thing we find in our passage is why we should be encouraged to go. Why should we be encouraged to go to God? If you look with me at verse 5, okay, this comes in the second half James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And now here's the part I want us to consider. It says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So why should we go to God? Why should we be encouraged and comforted to pray to God for wisdom? James gives us four reasons here. The first is that God is not stingy when giving wisdom. James 1.5 says again, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And then it comes from this phrase, who gives generously. Who gives generously. This word generously means that something is given without reservation, that it's given uh, bountifully, liberally. Okay, You probably know someone, and maybe some of you here today, are uh, you say that you are someone who is cheap. Okay, you may know someone who is cheap. They're not quick to spend. They try to save where they can. And as you think about this, this can be a very good thing. But here, God is the opposite of this when it comes to wisdom. He's not cheap. He's not stingy. He's a spender. He's a giver. There's no limit. He's abundantly generous in giving out wisdom. That's the idea here when it says, who gives generously? Okay, if we found out Uh, that there was someone in town who was like this with their money. They were giving out $100 bills with no limit. We certainly would go and probably take advantage of it. Do we take advantage of God's bounty of wisdom? Second, we find that God is not partial when giving wisdom. Look with me again at verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all to all this adds on to the fact that God God gives bountifully and he's not stingy God does not reserve wisdom for only the rich or only adults or only pastors or only those of a certain nationality or those whose past is not too bad no James says he gives to all now i do believe here it's referring to all christians That's who James is talking to, and he's referring to in this, uh, or is directing this letter to, so it's not all people, but it's all Christians. We find here that God does not have favorites when it comes to giving out his wisdom. So do you come to God unhesitatingly, knowing he will not be partial? So I said James is giving out encouragements, motivations to come to God, and we get a third why we should eagerly pray to God and come to God looking for wisdom. The third is that God is not fault-finding when giving wisdom. If you look with me at James 1.5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, and then it this phrase, without reproach. Reproach speaks of belittling someone by finding fault, okay? mocking them, insulting them. We find here that when you go to God in prayer for understanding in a tough time, God is not going to recount your sins or your unworthiness to be helped. We find here with this word reproach that God is not going to mock you for not knowing what to do. He's not going to point out that you should have learned this by now. You should know this. If you think about your life, you probably have hesitated asking someone uh, for help. Okay, and specifically someone who maybe has expertise in in a certain area, they they have some knowledge, they they would have the ability to be able to help you, you've probably hesitated asking someone for help knowing they would say something like, you don't know how to do that? It's so easy. There are probably people you know that have great knowledge and ability, but you'd never ask them. Because you'd know you'd get a lecture. you know they'd, they'd make you feel foolish. And in so doing, they'd, they'd talk themselves up. This is not our God. Do you go to God knowing you will not be scolded? And then the fourth reason is that God will give you what you ask for. James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without, without reproach. And then it says at the end, and it will be given him. James simply is saying, if you ask for wisdom, you will get it. Okay, you've probably um, went to a a vending machine, and and probably especially an older vending machine, uh, and you pay your money, money for your candy bar, and you just hope that it's not going to get stuck on its way out. We find here that That is not the case with God. We don't have to just hope that he'll answer us, that he'll answer our prayer, but we will get wisdom when we ask for wisdom. So James not only gives them an answer to their need, but we see here he he greatly encourages them by speaking of the character and the nature of God. So he could have just ended it there and said, let him ask God, and then moved on to the next verse. He goes through uh, some of God's attributes. We learn things about God here in verse 5, and I believe James is trying to show that, A, they need to pray to God, and B, they need to go to him frequently. There's no limit to their counseling sessions with God. He will not start charging them or turn them away. They don't need to be bashful or intimidated coming to God just as we think about getting this wisdom from God and in coming to him frequently, one thing I believe we must do as Christians that's part of this process is to go to the place where God's wisdom is found. Okay, and many of you hold it in your hands right now. Okay, our passage doesn't direct us here, but later in James, and I think it's a, definitely an application to this passage, later in James, James brings up the word of God. Look with me at James 1, verses 19 through 22. He directs their attention to the place where this wisdom is found, to the word of God. In James 1, starting at verse 19, he says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then it says, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James points these Christians to the word of God, which is instructive for how they should live right and godly lives. Exactly what James is talking about in our passage, saying that we need to ask for, and that is wisdom. And my point is that we must do what James says in James 1, 5 through 8. We must ask God for wisdom. We must pray to him looking for his help. And I believe one of the main ways that God will answer that prayer is by showing us in his word. As we read it, as we hear it preached, as God brings it to our minds, God will use his word to show us the wise way forward, to make clear how we should conduct ourselves. God's word is filled from cover to cover with this wisdom. So we need to be in it often, reading it, meditating on it, studying it. We need to sit under it as it's taught and preached week in and week out here at church. And as we pray to God for wisdom, he will use his word, which we're in, to show us this wisdom. So we've stressed, as I believe James is stressing in verse 5, that God is a giver. God will give wisdom. There's no limit come back again and again, pray and ask for the ability to understand the right way to live through difficulty. But we see in the next verses, specifically the next verse starts it out, James actually does give a qualification for receiving this wisdom. God is a giver. You can go and ask for wisdom, but this asking, this prayer must be done trusting and knowing that God will answer that prayer. So James speaks next of how one should pray to God for wisdom, how one should go to God for wisdom. Look with me at the beginning of James 1, verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith. Just to show verses 5 and 6 together, verse 5 said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And then verse 6, which we'll consider now, but let him ask in faith. What does James mean by asking in faith? Okay, James qualifies the asking, and he says, It must be done in faith. It must be done, he's saying, with trust and with confidence that God can answer our prayers. Okay, what James is talking about here is is having a full confidence and unwavering trust in God through the trials, through the hardships that you're going through. James shows that he's not just talking about wishful thinking here, okay, hoping something will happen. He's not just talking about floating a request out there and seeing, seeing if it's answered. He's not talking about being unsure if your request will be answered, but James shows that the prayer that he's talking about must be prayed with certainty. Certainty in the God who you're praying to and certainty that that God can answer your prayer. James then spells out what the opposite of this faith is. So he says, ask in faith, and then he gives the opposite. Look with me at James 1.6. He says, but let let him ask in faith, And then he says, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Okay, what James commands against, the opposite of faith is doubting. It's a word that means uncertain, wavering, hesitating. He's talking about being unsure of something. And in this case, it's being unsure of God and his ability to answer your prayer. And he gives an illustration. He gives an illustration To show what the one who doubts is like. Look again at verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. And then the illustration is, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Okay, James pictures the person who doubts as a wave. As water out in sea that is just controlled. It goes uh, with the flow or it goes at the direction of the wind. And so, too, the doubter, the one who doesn't ask in faith, is controlled by the trials and the hardships of their life. Challenges, struggles, trying circumstances dictate how their life will go. The one who does not have confidence in God and his help in hardship, their life will be utter chaos, like the waves of a sea in a storm. They will wreck their relationships responding wrongly. They will be consumed by their sadness. They will sin in their suffering. And then James further describes the one who doubts. We'll skip verse 7 for now, we'll come back to it, but if you look at James 1:8, okay, he further describes this doubter and he says he is a double-minded man. He is a double-minded man. Okay, it means that this man, the one who doubts, his allegiances are split. Okay, his opinions are divided. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on the book of James, he he explains this double-minded man by pointing us to the example of Peter walking on water. And I think Sinclair Ferguson's explanation of being double-minded is really helpful, so I want to read it in full. So listen as I read his explanation of what it means to be double-minded. He says, think of Simon Peter. In your mind's eye, watch him on the night he saw Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Lord, he says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. For a moment he trusts in Jesus and walks towards him, but then he sees the wind and he begins to sink. Matthew's choice of verb is interesting. Wind is invisible. Peter has developed double vision. Jesus is perfectly visible right there beside him, but it is the invisible wind he sees. The confidence that came from keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus disappears. What a picture of a man who is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. One eye is on the promise and the other eye on the circumstances. And then both eyes are fixed on the circumstances alone. We see and hear and feel the waves. The word of promise is drowned out. We begin to walk by sight, not by faith. And as a result, we begin to sink. The double-minded person clings to his own wisdom for security will not receive the wisdom of God and in the end lacks both wisdom and security. So James here, by double-minded, is talking about the one who trusts and has faith in God sometimes and then at other times, and especially when things get bad, does not. It's someone who when things are going good, things are going their way, things are easy in life, they have full confidence in God. They acknowledge his hand at work. They speak openly and publicly of their trust in him. But when things get tough, when hardship strikes, all is lost. God is against them. God is no longer at work in their opinion. They have lost all confidence in God. They go back and forth, back and forth between two opinions, sometimes trusting in God, sometimes not. They're not single-mindedly looking to God and trusting in him but they're being tossed to and fro when suffering strikes. James is saying this is not what he's talking about when he talks about faith, when he talks about praying in faith. And then he gives the results. We see the results as we conclude looking at this passage. We see it twice. First in James 1.7, if you look there, James 1.7 says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So he says, no faith, no help. No faith, no wisdom. So he's saying, ask God for this wisdom, but if you don't have faith, if you don't have trust and full confidence in God, then you can't expect this wisdom from God. And then second, as we think about results at the end of verse 8, if you look there, it says he is a double-minded man, and then it says unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways means that he's uncontrolled in his conduct and behavior. We have here the opposite of the wisdom that James has been talking about, showing that the one who does not look to the Lord in faith during hardship and suffering, how they should respond to these things, how they live through them, will be sinful. Sinful. It will not be the right and the godly response that James began talking about in verse 5. So he kind of comes full circle and shows how they wouldn't be living with this wisdom. So the qualification or the stipulation when it comes to praying for wisdom is that it must be done with a full confidence in God and his ability to grant the wisdom that's asked for. So we've seen this in this passage a need. A need that we should recognize we often have when we meet hardship in life. And that is that we don't know what to do. We don't know what the godly way forward is. In James, he points us to where we should go, where we should run with this need, and that is God himself. We need to pray to God asking for this wisdom in suffering. We've seen why. And it's because we have a God who willingly and graciously will give us the wisdom we ask for And then we saw how, how we should pray to God for this wisdom, and it's with an unwavering trust in God. So our passage today gives us a directive that may seem simple. It's a directive to pray, to pray. As we encounter hardships in life and are at a loss for what it looks like for a Christian to live in a God-honoring way, we learn that we must confidently pray to God, asking for his help to know what to do. We must pray to God and ask him the simple but necessary question, what should I do? And I'd ask you to consider and really be challenged from this text, will this be your prayer the next time you face something difficult? God, what should I do? How should I act and respond and speak in this hardship. And as you sit here this morning, you might be in the thick of something extremely stressful, something that really hurts, something that is very tough. Pray to God right here, right now, and ask him simply, what should I do? Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this text. We thank you for the first passage we looked at that addressed trials and suffering and called us to have joy in those sufferings in those trials and and suffering. And Lord, now we have a passage that calls us to prayer, to pray in our suffering, and not necessarily uh, for relief or for deliverance, not that those would be wrong to ask for, but James directs us to pray maybe more importantly uh, for how we can live and act in a God-honoring way in our suffering and in our trials and our hardship. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk away today As we face different things, if it's from our job or our family or when tragedy hits or even uh, as we think about things that we face uh, in our relationship with our friends or our parents or our spouse, Lord, as trials strike, I pray, God, that we would run to you first, that you would be the one we would first go to with these things and, and, Lord, more specifically that we would actually ask you, what should I do? How shall I speak? How shall I act? as I live through this. Lord, help us to be people that are seeking to live in a God-honoring way, no matter how tough life gets. Lord, help us to live out this passage, give us the strength to do so, and even remind us to do so. And in your name I pray, amen.